You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah.gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can. The holidays are now behind us. Finish with Passover. Finish with Shavuot. The cheesecake was amazing. Too much cheesecake, but very good. To, that's for sure. It's just really just a beautiful, beautiful holiday. But now we look forward to the summer, to the heat already. Um, it's deep in the 80s today, yesterday, tomorrow. Amazing, warm. I love warm. And really perfect timing because the next group of Torah portions are going to discuss what happens to the Jewish people while we're traveling in the desert. Like, till now, we left Egypt. Yes, we're in the desert. We make way to Mount Sinai. We get the Torah. But now we're really getting ready to leave Mount Sinai. We're going to travel through the desert. The plan, of course, was for a short trip to the land of Israel. Of course, that short trip changes to a much longer trip of... uh, of uh, 40 years. So we got to get into what exactly is happening in the desert and what's happening in preparations. And we're in the Torah portion called Nusso. Nusso happens to be the longest Torah portion with 176 verses, which is an interesting number because um, there's only two other places that this magic number, if you like to call it, that of 176 comes up. One is the largest tractate of uh, Bob Basra is 176 folios, double-sided pages, and the longest chapter in Psalms in Tehillim is also 176 verses. Okay. So a lot of things happening in this Torah portion. I would like to focus on the end of the Torah portion and probably what makes it so very long. And that is the end of the Torah portion. Um, we will have the dedication, or in Hebrew, the Chanukah Sabayit, the Chanukah Tabayit, the inauguration of the tabernacle of the Mishkan. And we're going to talk, really, we, we know it was built many, many Torah portions ago, but now we actually get into the dedication and the 12 princes, as each tribe has its prince, or Nasi in Hebrew, and they come to Moshe and they say, we want to be involved in the inauguration process. See, they had messed up earlier. When it came time to build the Mishkan, when it came time to build the tabernacle, they decided that um, we're going to sit back. We are the wealthy people. Go collect all what you can get from all the poor people. And when you're finished and you come to us and say that you still have a deficit, we will step in and fix that deficit, which, again, we've talked in the past. If you're a fundraiser, 
and your biggest donors say, see what you can get from, uh, from your parent body, from your friends, from your relatives, and we'll cover the rest. Great. So I'll go collect 50000 for my relatives and for my friends and for my neighbors and my parent body, and then you guys will come up with the next, uh, you know, $9,950,000. That's a great deal for a fundraiser. Here the problem was that... I'm oh, sorry about that. You can hear the allergies in my throat. There are benefits to warm weather, but there's also some... Uh, Got to make sure I take my, my medicine. But in any case, um, that might be a great benefit normally. But here, when the Jewish people were told to donate for the tabernacle, they came in in two days. They overwhelmed the uh, people in charge of collecting, and they had everything they needed. And here, sitting back, are the 12 leaders, the 12 princes, and we don't need their stuff. And it wasn't a money, it wasn't a money donation where we'll always take some more money in the coffers to pay for everything, or future uh, building, uh, whatever, or endowment. It was, it was stuff. They had to donate gold and, and copper and, and wool and linen and wood. So it was stuff that they were donating. So when we got all the stuff we need, so we don't accept any more stuff. As I told you, this was the greatest and only once in history fundraiser where when they closed the fundraising, they said, we're not taking any more donations. I've been involved in a lot of, of campaigns. And never have we said that we're sorry, we're done, we will no longer accept donations. That has never happened, except once in history, and that's the tabernacle. So, the, the, these, the Siam, these princes, they realized the mistake the first time. So they said, we don't want to make the same mistake again. So therefore, the 12 of them came to Moses, and they said, we would like to be involved in the dedication process, we want to bring sacrifices, each one of us, we want to donate stuff that's not part of the tabernacle itself, but part of the dedication process. What did that include? So the the tabernacle is going to be traveling, right? This is a this is a a movable temple, right? It always reminds me of uh, when I was growing up. So where we used to pray on Friday nights and Shabbos morning and the afternoon. Um, we actually rented um, some rooms from a girls' school in Muncie, and it, the ark was on wheels, right? It was, it was a huge cabinet. It folded in half, and it fit perfectly into the closet, and we had some uh, rolling um, shelves that had all the different prayer books we needed and other stuff. So Friday afternoon, my father would go early, and I usually tagged along, and we would set everything up. And Saturday night, we would close it up and put everything back, put it in the closets till next week. So the tabernacle was was meant to be built and taken apart so you could travel with it. Well, there's a lot of very heavy stuff, right? We got these humongous beams. We have these um, curtains that weigh who knows how much when you fold them up. So the first thing the 12 prints are donating are the wagons to help the process of traveling. I guess it would have been possible or they would have figured out to build wagons, but the princes wanted to donate these wagons. And there will also be um, the oxen that will pull these wagons. Again, I don't know exactly how it works when you're traveling in a desert, what kind of wheels you need and, and how you make sure things don't get stuck, but 
that we'll see is really not going to be an issue. Anyways, but that's what that's what they wanted. And then besides that, they also wanted to bring sacrifices. They were going to bring some animals. There was going to be like a spoonful of uh, incense. And there would be these gold bowls filled with flowers. So there was all kinds of stuff. So Moses says to them, okay, let me check with God, right? We don't do anything without God's permission. Moses checks and God says, great idea, except um, they can't all bring it today. There's 12 princes. We will bring it over a 12-day period. Fine. So there's the order. Judah will be first. And then, uh, then there's the order of the different tribes that goes through. And it is fascinating, which, again, we'll get to when we get to the nitty-gritty. I just want to give you the basic overview of, the, of what's happening. Um, generally speaking, on Sabbath and on holidays, you can't just bring any sacrifice you want. For sure, on Sabbath, you can only bring public sacrifices. You cannot bring private sacrifices. There's only permission to slaughter and the skinning and all the other stuff they do and the burning, all these things they do with the animals is only permissible on on the weekday. Sabbath, it's not. But here, there's going to be an exception because there's 12 days. That means that if you're going straight for 12 days, minimum, one tribe is going to have to bring their sacrifice on the Sabbath. It could be two, but it's minimum one. Happens to be that the rabbis tell us it was one, and it happens to be the one it was was the tribe of Ephraim, right? Joseph is one of the 12 brothers, but he's broken up into two separate tribes, and this will be the tribe of Ephraim, that will be allowed to bring their sacrifice on the Sabbath, and we're going to get to why that was something important um, as we move along. After the 12 days, the Torah gives a review of the of all the stuff all put together that was brought, and then that leads us into next week's Torah portion where the tribe of, Le- of Levi, the Levites, were not included in the twelve. Because, again, in the traveling and camping in the desert, you have the tabernacle in the middle, you have the Levites surrounding the tabernacle, and then you have the 12 tribes, three in each direction. So those 12 are bringing their sacrifices, but we have nothing for the Levites. So the next week's Torah portion discusses what their dedication for the building of the tabernacle was. Okay, so very good. So now let's take it slowly. So there's a few things we need to figure out. Number one, if again, for those that have been following along, um, we dedicated the tabernacle. In other words, back, Moses comes down with the two tablets the second time. Tells the Jewish people in Yom Kippur they got to build themselves an ark. And that was an ark. That's Noah. So they have to build themselves a tabernacle and all the instructions and all the things they need. And then they collect the stuff, and they build it. That's all happening at the end of the book of Shemos, at the end of the book of Exodus. Then we get to Leviticus, the Sefer Vayikra, where at the beginning we talk about sacrifices. And then we get to the third Torah portion, and that's Shemini. And there is the eighth day where the tabernacle is being set up. The 12 princes that come want to donate on that 12th day. I'm sorry, not 12. On that eighth day, it's called Parish Shemini. On the eighth day, that's the same day, by the way, that Aaron's two sons, Nadav and Aviu, are killed because they're bringing fire where they weren't supposed to. Or um, We talked about different possibilities, what they did wrong, why they had to die that day. But then, so 
we have the eighth day where the fire will come down from heaven and burn the sacrifices and none of you are killed by that fire. And then we get a lot of Torah portions. We got Tazria and Mitzorah and Achrimos and Kedoshim and Emor and Bahar and Bechukosai and last week's Torah portion by Midbar. And now the long parish is Nasai. And now at the end, we again are talking about that eighth day, the day the, the tabernacle is dedicated, the Mishkan is dedicated. Why are we waiting so long? Like, why this humongous break in the story? So that's the first question we should be thinking about. So a simple answer is that this is really all taking place in one day. All these Torah portions, by Midbar, have to be out of order. It's a counting, but it's clear in the verse that it's out of order. So that's the counting. That really takes place later. We're not going to worry about that so much for now. Everything in all these Torah portions in between are laws that are related to the Kohanim, to the priests, laws relating to to the tabernacle, uh, purity and impurity. All these things are really all taking place. So even though it seems like it's taking place over weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, it's not really true. Really, it's all happening at the same time, and we just waited after we got all the laws in place. Now we'll talk about the dedication. However, there really is a, a, a second part to the answer. And that is that we have two sacrifices being brought. Right? We have the sacrifice of Nodonavu. They wanted to bring a personal sacrifice, and they did it on their own, and they did it the wrong way, and therefore they're executed. We have the 12 princes also wanting to bring their own sacrifice. But they asked. They said, Moses, we would like to do. What should we do? So we don't want these two stories next to each other because you could confuse the two. You could confuse maybe they're all the same. They're not all the same. It was interesting. I was uh, telling my class today. We were talking about... We were talking about the difference between asking and complaining. We haven't talked about the mana in class. That's what we were talking about today. So I explained there's two ways to go to Moses when you have a problem. You could say, what kind of crazy business is this? You bring us out into the middle of a desert and there's no food and we're going to die here and better we should have stayed in Egypt. And then they start making up stories and we sat on the pot of meat and we had bread as much as we wanted. Egypt was better. That's one way of saying you're starving, right? Or you could say, Moses, we're starving. What does God want us to do? Both serve the same purpose, right? We know, Moses, you got to go to God and get us food. So I can complain and carry on and quetch, or I can ask. Both ways work, right? But which, which one do you want, right? You want to be the complainer, the quetch, or do you want to, do you want to ask? So Nadvan Aviyu decided on their own what they thought was appropriate. They felt they didn't need to ask. And that, again, according to some, is why they were punished, that they, they decided on their own the law without asking Moses and Aaron. And you have the 12 princes that they say, hello, we are, um, we want to be involved in the dedication, but we know we can't do anything on our own. So Moses, can we do it? So Moses says, no problem. Okay, beautiful. Now, not only that, by the way, 
You should keep in mind the day of the dedication of the tabernacle. So 10 special things happened that day. It says that day took 10 crowns. It was a special day. And even the wording of the verse, it says, Vayhi b'yayim kalos meisha, on the day that Mo- it was, on the day that Moses kalos means completed. But kalos happens to be the same word as kalo, which is the bride. Right? So we're saying on the day that Moses completed that we enter the tabernacle like a bride entering her groom. Okay. However, we have a problem. This word that starts this story is a very special word. The word is vayihi. Vayihi is a problematic word. The Talmud discusses every time it says vayihi, many times, it's really vayihi b'yayim. Whenever it says vayihi b'yayim, it was on the day, that's bad stuff. That's not going to be good. Um, but vayihi by itself, sometimes it's a good word, sometimes it's not a good word. So what's vayihi mean over here? And it was. This, when we start out, and it was, that's like a flag. Something is happening. Many, many times that's a tragic word. That something tragic is about to take place. And sometimes it's not so much a, a, a tragic word as much as it is a, um, something unusual is taking place. So Rav Shem says that this word was unique. The Vayihi over here means something unique is taking place. And it's God's presence has not really been in the world. Yes, it came down by Mount Sinai. But the God rested his presence in this world hadn't happened on a permanent basis. Now that the tabernacle, the Mishkan, has been built, so now, vayihi, something unique is taking place. God's presence, his shechina, is coming down to this world, and that is unique. However, um, on the other side, on the tragic side, they say like this. Imagine a king... And he has a wife who's always busy complaining and quarreling. So what he does is um, he convinces his wife to make a tapestry. And this tapestry keeps her busy for weeks and months. And he keeps coming and looking at how beautiful it is. And as long as she's busy with a tapestry, life is beautiful in the palace because she's busy. She doesn't have any time to quarrel or complain. Now she finishes, comes to the king, look, it's finished. We can hang it over here in the throne room. It's beautiful. But the king knows she's not busy now. As soon as she's not busy, it leads to quarreling. And that's exactly what is going to happen now with the Jewish people. We got the Torah, yes. We, we, we did the golden calf. And Moses has to pray for us. And Moses comes down a second time with it, two tablets. And God gives us the tabernacle, the Mishkan, to build. So for the next many months, it's going to be, it's not going to be exactly a year, but for the next many, many, many months, the Jewish people are busy building the Mishkan, building, creating the tabernacle. But now that we're finished building the tabernacle, so now it's only quarreling. And that, unfortunately, is what is about to take place in all the upcoming Torah portions. We're going to complain about the traveling, and we're going to complain about the manna, and Korach is going to complain that he should be in charge. And we have story after story after story over this next... It's really taking place over 40 years. Right? There's going to be a break in the middle. We're going to have the spies. So we're going to have a lot of stories and quarreling 
And that's the Vayihi. Things are not going to be the way we would have liked them to be. Um, fine. So uh, one of the things we then talked about, one of the things we talked about was that um, they, they brought these six wagons, which is an interesting number, right? They didn't bring 12 wagons, right? There's 12 princes. They're wealthy people. They're obviously having these wagons built, right? They could have very easily gone ahead and uh, and had and had 12 built. Why only six? So first of all, the idea of six is to show that we are together. We're not each individuals, even though, yes, there's 12 separate tribes, but we are together. We are doing things together. One by himself is not enough. We partner up together. Uh, the other question really is, but... The, it's, not, it's not enough stuff. I mean, this is a humongous tabernacle. Like, when the Talmud describes how they used four wagons, and these were big wagons, don't get me wrong, but they weren't tractor-trailer trucks, okay? They got to, each wagon has to carry in the 12-beam uh, range, right? So either it's it's three piles of four each or four piles of three each. It's huge. This is going... I don't know, six feet in the air, eight feet in the air, huge beams. You would have been better off with more wagons, right? Why are they only making six wagons? So it's so very interesting. The Nesim understood that the, that the vessels of the Mishkan carry themselves. They carry themselves. In other words, the ark doesn't go in a wagon, the, the showbread table, the shulchan, the menorah, the golden... Um, um, altar, even the copper altar, those are carried by the Levites. They do not go on a wagon. Because, and by the way, everyone was supposed to understand that even though some of these vessels were humongously heavy, they didn't. Right, God didn't need any help. Right, it could move by itself. It looks like they're carrying it, but really the vessels carry themselves. So since the Nesim understood this and wanted to make sure everybody understood this, we're not giving you enough wagons because, anyways, you don't really need it. Yes, we're giving you wagons, but really the vessels carry themselves, which is why I believe you didn't have to worry about the wagons getting stuck in the sand because, anyways, the vessels carrying themselves. Who cares the weight that each wagon was going to have to carry? It's irrelevant because the wagons, because the vessels carry themselves. But we do what looks normal, right? We don't rely on miracles, but the fact is a miracle it is, which is interesting because um, when King David was transporting the ark from where it was to bring it up to Jerusalem, so he made a mistake. He made a tragic mistake, and he had it brought up in a wagon. And one of the attendants was a guy by the name of Uzzah. One of the attendants was a guy by the name of Uzzah. And the ark starts to slip. Now, this is a really big test, right? In other words, the ark carries itself. It doesn't need your help. Why are you catching it? but you see something falling. It's, it's like a natural reaction. So Uzzah went to catch it, or did catch it, and he dies on the spot, because he should have known better. The ark carries itself. God doesn't need your help. But because of that, uh, King David left the ark by a certain uh, family to stay there for um, till he felt it was time to move on. It happens to be that the family, there were six uh, daughter-in-laws plus the mother that each became pregnant, had six kids each, so he figured it was a pretty safe time to remove the ark, to move it back up. Um, 
One last thing. We said I talked about Sabbath. So why was Ephraim the tribe that merited to um, to have their sacrifice brought on the Sabbath? So the answer is very interesting because Joseph was very, very careful to keep the Sabbath while he was in... Interesting question. Oh. My... My watch says an interesting question, which is very beautiful, but my watch should not be talking to me right now. But in any case, um, because Joseph, as viceroy, as king of Egypt, you would think maybe he won't be able to keep the Sabbath in Egypt, but he made sure he was going to keep the Sabbath even though he's running the whole country. So as a reward to Joseph for what he accomplished and that, and that he made sure to keep the Sabbath, his tribe, well, it was really one of them because two tribes came from Joseph, were the ones that merited that their sacrifice will push off the normal laws of Sabbath. Um, I think I have a few seconds left. Um, there happens to be one more mitzvah in the Torah portion. Uh, there's a lot of them. It's piles of them. But one of these, there's a law that if you steal from a convert... Oh, I'm not going to be able to get to it. So anyways, guys, music is playing. I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to all the wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you, of course, to the wonderful production team. We have David and Kelsey in the back. I have a pleasure and food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on Aaron Streamcast. Until next week, don't forget to think about it.